0: Turn with me please to the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, that's where we are right now, we'll move on down from where we were last week and last week we saw that these baby Christians in Thessalonica, that they were a powerful example to the other churches. Paul had only been there about a month and yet, man, the work of God was just incredible. I remember hearing a story of some uh, men that were meeting with Avery Willis. You may remember the study Master Life that came out several decades ago. He was the uh, author of it. And um, he was conducting a conference right here in Oklahoma City. And uh, he was asking people about the time they had spent with God. And some of these men, many of them preachers, were talking about... The length of time. They all emphasize the length of time that they spent with God. Oh, I got up early this morning and spent 45 minutes. Well, I spent an hour. Well, I spent an hour and a half and all of that that happened. And when it all died down, he looked at them and he said, If you spent five minutes with the God I know, your life would be changed. And his point was, it's not so much the time that you spend with God. It's the fact that you are with God that changes life. And the Thessalonian believers had not been saved long. They did not have the Apostle Paul very long with them. But, oh, the power. What a difference between the church in Thessalonica, for example, and the church in Corinth, right? And so this is something that is amazing. And what is striking as you read this first chapter, is something that we are all weak in, all need to be better in, and all that we are commanded to do, and that is being a witness for Christ. And these people, nobody had to tell them. They just did it. And they became an echo chamber of the gospel. But even more than that, the people that heard them give the gospel saw the reality of the gospel in their life. And maybe today, there are a lot of people that may talk about Jesus and talk about faith. I mean, you hear about it on TV shows, you hear about it, celebrities will talk about living out their faith. And then you also go, yeah, and at the same time, they're living with a person instead of being married to them. They're involved in drug and alcohol abuse and different things like that. They're in you know, uh, television shows or movies that are absolutely filthy and you wonder about the quality of their faith. And at the same time, folks, that is what your family members, that is what your children and grandchildren are doing with you. How can you be in church and then be the way you are? How can you say you love Jesus and that you're going to heaven and be the way you are, do the things that you do? In other words, our life is supposed to give us credibility and prove the reality of the change that has taken place in our life what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since jesus came into my heart is what the old hymn says and that certainly is true now uh david letterman if you ever watch that he used to give you his top 10 list but i'm no david letterman so you get six from me and uh i want to give you six reasons why people don't witness And one of them is people would say, well, I just don't know anyone. I live an isolated life. I don't really get out and about. I don't know my neighbors. I don't really make friends. I'm kind of introverted. I just don't really know anyone to witness to. Okay? Others might say something like this. Well, I don't witness because I know I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not as sold out to Christ as I ought to be. Okay, let's be honest. What that is really saying is, I have known unconfessed, unforsaken sin in my life. And that means that we love our sin more than we love Christ. It means we care more about our self-indulgence than we care about people's eternal souls. And that really does say something about us that is uh, most unpleasant. Another reason, I really don't love people or care that much. You know, apathy is something that rules and reigns in our society today. I don't care. And it's the fruit of back in the 60s when uh, people started doing drugs and things on a massive scale and they were, you know, tuning in and uh, dropping out and all that kind of stuff. Remember all of that thing that would happen and people just sort of dropped out of society and they would stay high and didn't really want to engage, didn't really want to do that. And we see a lot of people like that today. And uh, some of them are on drugs or alcohol, abusing them. But a lot of people are not. They just simply don't care. They just want to live their life. They want to veg out, binge watch uh, something on Netflix and uh, not really be all that involved or engaged with other people. We don't know our neighbors like previous generations did. And we don't interact in ways that they did and there are reasons for that I understand that but the fact that maybe we just don't really care or love people that much means that we're violating what Jesus said was the next to the greatest commandment remember the greatest commandment is love God with everything that you got and the second like it he said is to love your neighbor as you love yourself and so we uh, don't see ourselves as being commandment breakers, but that would be one. We just don't love and we don't care all that much. You know, just let them deal with their own life and their own situation, none of my business. For some people, it's, uh, they say, well, I ought to do it and I'm going to do it someday. And they say, it's not really all that urgent. But if you think about it in the fact that you may die and you have no promise of tomorrow, you may die sooner than you think got to finish the sentence because you will die and they may die sooner than expected and opportunities are gone and so we need to think about that we only have so much time while we're here on earth to be a witness for Jesus Christ and that's why we're left here on this earth to be a witness and to make disciples you won't be able to do that in heaven but you can do that down here for some people they say well I don't really care that much to talk about Christ and the gospel because Christianity is boring and it's just a bunch of meaningless rituals. You'd be surprised how many people think that Christianity boils down to a list, a a to-do list. I'll read my Bible a little bit. I'll pray a little bit. I'll go to church when that is appropriate. I'll go through the rituals of the church, baptism, the Lord's Supper, those type of things. But other than that, (coughs) it's my life. Leave me alone. And they don't really know that it's about a person and not just an institution or a ritual that they go through. And I feel sorry for those people, but that would be a reason not to witness. You don't really, you're don't you not really all that impressed with it yourself because you don't really know Christ. And then um, another one, too, is this one, and it's kind of a little bit mean. And I think there has been a meanness to the church in times past because we were so against sin, we said, I don't really care to be around sinners. I'm going to be separate. I'm not going to have lost friends. I'm not going to be around people that don't believe what I believe and agree with what I believe. And I will agree, it is nice to be around people who agree with you, who believe what you believe. That's a a blessing. It's a foretaste of glory divine. We ought to want that and long for that. But to think that we would not love sinners when our Lord was a friend of sinners... Our Lord receives sinful men. That's why you're saved. He loved you as a sinner. And so um, we think about that, and that's the way we ought to be as well. We're not copying them. We're not endorsing them. We're not trying to be like them. We're not looking for an excuse to do what we really want to do. We just love them because they're made in the image of God. And we have compassion on them because without Christ, they're going to spend an eternity in hell and we have a message to give to them that is a life-giving message and so you think about those and then you add other ones some people are just afraid and some people are ashamed of christ frankly and uh, they come to church and they worship and adore him but they're ashamed of him when they walk outside of the doors and i mean we could i I mean i guess we could get to a top 10 list if we wanted to but let's move on and uh Before we read our scripture, I want to address something that is germane to what we're talking about this morning. Theologians have wrestled with the idea that the Apostle Paul and James, James, uh, the writer of the book of James, he wasn't an apostle, but he was the half-brother of Jesus, and he also was the leader of the church at Jerusalem. The Apostle James was martyred. But James and Paul seem to have a conflict. Martin Luther wrestled with this during the Reformation, and others have done it as well. So why would uh, that be the case? Well, you might notice in Romans 3, verse 28, it says, "...for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law." That, of course, is Paul. "...saved by faith, made right with God by faith, apart from works." And then James comes along in chapter 2, verse 24, and he says, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Okay, now we've got a problem. And you can see how somebody like Luther, who was going against and protesting the teachings of the Catholic Church by saying it's grace alone, faith alone, in the word of the, uh, uh, the word alone and through Christ alone. And all that was very important, sola scriptura, sola fides, those things. And uh, so now he reads in James that a man is justified not by faith alone, but by his works. And so Luther was inclined to say that uh, James had it wrong. Well, there's a problem. Either James is not in the Bible and doesn't belong there... Or we have a problem because we don't understand and there's got to be a harmony between the two. What is the harmonization that theologians have been talking about for hundreds and hundreds of years? Because they're both obviously talking about justification. They both agree we need to be justified before God to be freed from sin's penalty. And the difference is the audience. When Paul is talking about all of this, He is speaking about justification with God and before God. How does a man, woman, boy, or girl get right with God? And the only way is by the grace of God through faith alone. Because God sees the heart. He's not watching the actions as much as he is looking at the sinful heart. And by faith... In the Lord Jesus Christ, in his death on the cross, our sins are forgiven and they're paid for and we surrender to him as Lord and he promises that those who do that will be saved. That's all of him. So what's James talking about? Well, James is making the case that just as you are justified before God, you have to also be justified before men. In other words, why should your son, believe that you are for real as a Christian? Why should your daughter follow in your footsteps as a Bible-believing Christian? Why should they? And it might be easy for us to say, because it's right and because I had them in church and because of all of that. Well, let's back up and look at it through their eyes. Why should they have any indication that your faith is for real? And that's what James is talking about because our neighbors look at us and they know we go to church and they may know there are some things that uh, we don't do that are like them, but you know, we cut our grass and uh, we take food to sick people and we do a lot of the same things that they do and they say the only difference is they go to church. That doesn't bring conviction on anybody. That doesn't bring any realization of why they need to be saved on anybody. They just think we've added some things to our life and we're a little more disciplined, maybe, than they are, and that's really not the point. But James says that when we are living the Christian life, telling other people about um, Jesus and singing his praises and talking about him, what are we supposed to do? He said, You better back it up by the way you live. That's what he means by works, the way you live, your attitude. Your actions, your love, your mercy, your care, your servanthood, your commitments, your convictions, all of those things, well, they kind of have to match or uh, we've got a little bit of a problem because people can't see your heart, but they can see your works. And that's what James means. Let me read you a few verses. James 2, 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers, so he's speaking to Christians, If someone says he has faith, but does not have works. Now he's going to give an illustration of it. He's he's saying that it is like, uh, he says, can that faith save him? And here's the illustration. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving him the things needed for the body. Well, what good is that? Well, everybody understands that. You don't send somebody that is ill-clad out into a blizzard and say, God be with you, I hope you stay warm. That's not going to help them. They need a coat. He's saying there's something that has to back up the words. Stay warm with this coat. Stay warm with this scarf. Stay warm with this hat. Be filled with this soup. Be filled with this sandwich. Something has to back it up to do that guy any good. And that's his illustration when he makes a statement. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And actually what he's saying there is it's a non-saving pseudo-faith. Why? Because there's nothing backing it up. Now Paul would agree with that. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul said, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest every man should boast. And every good Baptist says to that, amen, right? We always leave off the next verse. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which he has foreordained that we should walk therein. In other words, Paul is even saying the exact same thing that James is. People that are justified go to work. And the train is hooked up. And we do things for people and we do them for the glory of the Lord and it strengthens our witness. There's an old story about a little boy that was out on the streets in England, and he was hungry, and he was dirty, and he was tired, and they just called him a street urchin and pushed him out of the way until somebody came up to him and said, Little boy, and they gave him a piece of paper. They said, Go to, and they named a certain house, and give them this paper. And he said, What does the paper say? And they said, The paper says John 3, And so the little boy went to that house, and he knocked on the door, and they said, Yes. And he handed them the paper, and they said, Come in. And uh, when, they were, uh, when they had him in there, they fed him, and then they gave him a bath, and then they put him to bed. And uh, he slept well that night, and he ate breakfast the next morning. And somebody asked him, what did John 3:16 mean? And he said, I don't really know and understand it, but I know that it makes a, lo- a lonely boy welcomed, a hungry boy fed, a dirty boy clean, and a tired boy to rest. And I say that simply to say that that's what the gospel ought to do in our lives. It ought to change the way that we view and the way that we express love to other people who are lost and on their way to hell. And I say that because the Thessalonian church was a perfect example to us of how that happens, the two things being together, their love for Christ, and their love for one another and the change that was wrought in their life caused them to look at the world differently. And Paul makes this statement as we uh, come to our text this morning, looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And he says, For they, and he's talking about lost people, that he was trying, pardon me, trying to evangelize, for they themselves. Declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. I mean, it's the whole package. These people are not only living differently, they're telling differently. They're interacting with people. Their story is spreading. So if we want to be a Thessalonian-type witness, it's not the kind of thing to where we're going to go out and bombard everybody and scare them to death and be obnoxious and be annoying and all of those kind of things. And it's also not simply that... We uh, look at things and go, well, I'm no Billy Graham, therefore I can't be a witness. Because the, I don't think there's anything wrong with crusades and that type of thing, except that's not really the way the Bible presents witnessing. It's you and me. It's everyday, ordinary, flawed people, one-on-one, as we have opportunity to share and to demonstrate the power of Christ in our lives that's where it really really happens because in the big crusades that we used to have uh, statistics would say that it was a very low percentage of those people that responded that ever got baptized or ever even got involved in a local church that's not really where it's at But there's a much higher percentage. There's always false converts, but there's a much higher percentage of those that are led to the Lord by individuals like you and like me that come to church. They come to church with us. They make a profession of faith. They're baptized. They are discipled and they stick with it. Sometimes they uh, later on come to understand the gospel and say, Now's the time that I got saved. We don't care. We just want them to get saved. I was one of those. Some of you were one of those. It's a wonderful thing. And that's the testimony of the Thessalonican church. Paul said, we start telling people a story about how we went to Thessalonica and they're going, oh, we've already heard that one. And then they begin to tell Paul and Silas and Timothy that story. These people in Thessalonica were active and people were hearing about them by the way that they lived and the way that they spoke. They both went together. So, if we're going to do that, what do we do? Okay, write down the word relationships. You'll notice here, it starts off with them, they shared their story. Well, nobody would want to hear my story. Uh, Somebody will. Somebody will. And so many times we think our story, if it's not dramatic, if it doesn't have a miracle in it, a dramatic powerful lightning flashed and this and this happened i don't have anything to share listen if you are born again you are a miracle and you're god's greatest miracle and you need to tell that story it may be boring it may be ordinary it may be really really normal but sometimes people need to just identify with just an everyday boring normal individual like you Because there are some people that they look and they hear a testimony that is flashy, powerful, and all of that, and boy, they're overwhelmed by that. Some people aren't. Some people are just skeptical. How do I know that guy's telling the truth? But if they hear your story, that you're just a person you get up every day, you've make your bed, you cut your grass, you cook dinner, you're raising children, you change diapers, you go to work, you carry a lunch with you to work, that type of thing, they go, okay, you're a guy like me, you're a lady like me, I can understand that, and then you have a powerful testimony, and sometimes, keep in mind too, you may think that your kids know your story and the family story and the testimony of faith, but they may not. Because there were times I tried to tell my kids our story and they weren't really all that interested. They didn't really listen. They got bits and pieces of it, kind of like you did. There needs to be some of those times when you share with them and they need to hear it over and over again. Like Moses told the people of Israel, you you speak to your children when you're lying down, when you're sitting up, when you're going in, when you're coming out. In other words... It needs to be a topic of conversation. They need to hear what God has done in your life and hear it over and over and over again. But then again, so do your neighbors. So do people in the church. So do uh, friends at work and those type of things. Because you'll notice here that these people said, for they, I mean, Paul said, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of injury we had to you. Now, how did they hear that? How did they know that? Somebody was talking. And you'll be surprised how sharing a story can lead into a gospel witness. It may not, but it may build a relationship that later gives you that opportunity. People need to know you. We live in a lonely world. Get to know people. Share things about yourself and watch while you're sharing it. My dad was in the military. We lived all over the uh, nation and we lived even in Europe. And while I'm talking to somebody about that, I'm watching. I'm watching for interest and something can come up. And then I can bring in something about we went to church every Sunday because my parents were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm watching. I'm watching. And they may just give me a simply, well, that's nice. I'm glad you had a faith tradition. We're Buddhist or something like that. Okay, maybe the door is not open right then, but maybe a seed is planted. Or maybe there's a crack in the door. I'm seeing light in all of that now. I'm encouraged. I've got something to pray about. Or maybe the door flings open wide and they say, boy, I wish I had that kind of faith. Man, here we go. And we take off. But it so often begins because we take time to build relationships. And that's what I see in this. Just tell your story. Tell your story and look for an opening to tell the story of Christ in all of that. It's not a compromise. It's not saying we don't want to talk about Jesus. It means that we are just being polite. You don't just walk up to somebody's door and kick it in and say, Here I am. You knock first. And sometimes when we witness, I feel like we're just kind of banging the door down and invading into their life and then wonder why they're not happy about it. Be be a a kind person. Be a loving person. And uh, be considerate about them. And so through telling our story, getting to know uh, them, and do a little bit of listening too. Listen to their story. You're knocking on the door to see if anyone's interested, to see if anyone wants to answer. Okay, number two. Write down the word consistency. I think one of the biggest hindrances to our witness is the fact that people are just not consistent. You don't believe me? Ask any lost person. Every lost person. They may not have a story about a real Christian, but they have a story about a hypocrite. They have a story about the preacher who you know, did something wrong. They have a story about the deacon who did something wrong. They have the story about a Christian family member who was molesting a child or something. They all know that. They all know that. But let others see Jesus in you. And if Jesus was anything, He was consistent. Your life needs to be consistent. Consider this. Does your lifestyle make sense in light of your confession? You know, we like to play the game of, it's just me and Jesus. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. I beg to differ. Uh, It does matter what other people think. Your life should be bringing glory to the Lord. And what you do on Sunday and what you confess about your salvation ought to be matched up by your lifestyle, by your priorities, by your actions, by your attitude, so that people aren't surprised to hear that you are a Christian. And some people are confused because the only Christians they knew... Things just didn't make sense in their life. It didn't add up. And it was just a, you know, just a mess. And uh, we don't want that. Now, the Bible says that uh, it, uh, picking up with where we left off with that last point and how you turned to God from idols. Now, that's pretty dramatic in that world. That meant they were going against the culture, going against the system, going against tradition, going against all of that. And they knew that, they saw that, and they had some respect for that. You see, when you hear somebody like President Biden and Speaker Pelosi say that they are devout Catholics and yet they are pro-abortion, something about that train doesn't hook up. It doesn't seem right. And we all see that. That's just an illustration. Well, that's the way your children look at you when they see you sing praises to Jesus and then cuss when the lawnmower won't start. It just doesn't make sense. That's where they see it when you're praising Jesus, but then when you're at home, it's all about money and uh, you are worshiping money and that type of thing. And we could go on and on and on with that. I think you get the point. And so it needs to link up and it needs to make sense. Consistency, story, a relationship and consistency. Number three, uh, think about and write down the word testimony. Okay? Can your love for God and for people be seen as your life's priority? Not just simply something that you do every once in a while, but as a priority of life. The great commandment, right? Loving God and loving our neighbor. Loving God and loving our neighbor. How clear is that to anybody who works with you? How clear is that to anybody who lives next to you? How clear is that to anybody you go to school with? How clear is that? And yet it was very clear with the Thessalonian believers to serve the living and true God. It was a drastic change, and they saw the priority of their life. Now, if you had someone who claim to be in the military, but they refuse to follow orders, refuse to be trained, refuse to cut their hair, refuse to show up when they were supposed to, refuse to, I don't like the color of the uniform, you would say, you're not in the military. In fact, there's a term that uh, people call it, it's called stolen valor. And that's people that wear the uniform and wear medals and decorations that they didn't earn. And that's the way we look to the world when things don't add up in uh, our life the way that they really should. People need to be able to see, especially our family needs to be able to see, that this is our testimony. I testify that I love God, and because I love God, I love the people that He made. And I will serve them in any way that I possibly can. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And I do those things as an opportunity to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's hard for somebody to fail to listen to you when you show that you care. And the old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's an entry point, especially today. I think it always has been, but especially today. And then number four, would you write down the word purpose? Everybody wants a purpose. What's my purpose? Where is my purpose? It always seems weird to me that people say, I don't believe in God, and I believe that we're all here just by random chance and mutation. Now I want to find my purpose. Well, if what you believe is true, there is no purpose. It's just live and die. Live and die, basically it. But if you understand that God made you, and that God has saved you by His sovereign grace, that He indwells you, then you have a purpose for your life. Think about this question. Are you living as if this were your last day? We know Jesus is coming any day. We sing about it. We say amen to it. But we don't always live like it, do we? We act like it's no big deal. There's no urgency to anything. Oh, I can get around to that any old time that I want to. Well, the Bible says here, and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. There's an end that's coming. Time is running out. The runway's getting short. We're closer to that than we've ever been before. And one way or another, either through the Lord's return or through your death, you're going you're to be out of here. You're going to exit. You're not going to be here forever, and neither are they. And so take advantage of the time. Show your love and show it as a priority and live each day as if it were your last. Have a sense of urgency. Now, I don't want you to live... Frantically and uh, confused and scared and afraid—not not, not that—but just to wake up every day and say, "Father, if this were to be the last day that I have to serve you, what would you have me do? Open doors for me and don't let me casually walk past them. Bring people into my life and don't let me ignore them or push them away. Give me opportunities that I won't get annoyed or aggravated about, but I would look at it as an opportunity to." You know, change a tire for somebody or take a meal to somebody or give somebody a ride or something like that in a way to share Christ with them. We've just got to be intentional. We can't just let life happen. Intentionality, purpose in all of that. So are you living as though this was your last day because we're waiting for Jesus to come back. And while we're waiting, we are to remain faithful. And then number five. Write down the word faith. Are you relating to and trusting in a person or is it just a religion or a ritual? Because if all you've got is a ritual, I was confirmed, I took the Lord's Supper, well, I was baptized, well, I walked an aisle, well, I went through Awanas, well, I went through confirmation, well, and on and on and on the things that we hear people say. If that's all it is, then no wonder you're not passionate about it. But if you get to know Jesus Christ as a person, and if you get to know God and get to know Him in everything that He is through His Word then you'll want to talk about it. He will come out of your life. He will be a natural part of it. It won't be a a planned, scripted thing. I think so many times when we have trained people in evangelism, all we were doing was giving them a script, and lost people listened to that and said, okay, now what's next, Amway? What's next? Plexus, what's next? I mean, where are you going with all of this? And we sound like multi-level marketing people that have been taught a script to give to others when... The Thessalonians were sharing a relationship with the true and the living God. We found that Zeus is nothing, but Yahweh God is the creator of everything, and He has changed my life. And their story would come out, and their relationship with God would creep out, and they were filled with joy about Jesus because, well, they knew Him. And in knowing Him, they loved Him. You can't really love someone (coughs) pardon me that you don't know and so the people that meet and then they begin to date and spend time together and really get to know each other and then they get married they'll be much more successful than the person who just says you know I wrote a letter to you know a foreign country send me uh, a mail order bride and then we'll see how it works That, that those don't have much of a chance And in the same way, you and I, we are the bride of Christ. We need to know our bride. And when we know Him, we'll be excited about Him. And when we know Him, we will speak of Him. And when we know Him, it will be more than just a sales pitch or a script. And then number six. And you'll notice that the top six things that I said, they're corresponding to the points of the message. Number six, humility. Are you aware of the grace given to you? You know, when we have this thing about, I'm not sure I want to hang around sinners. I'm not sure I want to be around them. They'll trip me up. They'll mess me up. They'll get me dirty. They'll do all of that kind of stuff. Sometimes I think we forget that we too were dead in trespasses and sins. That Ephesians 2 passage that you like so well talks about the deadness of the human heart apart from Christ. It also says in there, and such were you. We forget. And we forget the grace of God, how he came to us, how he found us in our sins, and how we were condemned. And uh, he took us out of that condemnation into light, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God, all of those wonderful, wonderful things. And that's the people that we're around. If God can save you, he can save anybody. If God can save Nebuchadnezzar, he can save anybody. If God can save the apostle Paul, he can save anybody. And we ought to have that faith and that optimism and we ought to remember the grace given to us and want that to be given to other people. And so it says, uh, from the wrath to come. Because we forget we were under the wrath of God at one time and so is this world. It abides under the wrath of God and the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, Romans 1.18 says, against all ungodliness. And we forget that, don't we? And we forget, John three seventeen that those who don't believe are not going to be condemned, but they're com- condemned already. We forget all of that, and we forget that we were just like them. God, forgive us. God, forgive us. If we could remember, and if we could walk in their shoes, which we have, and remember it, we would be much more passionate, much more excited about telling the gospel story. And it could be said of us and of our church. We tried to tell people about Graceway, but they were telling us. We tried to tell people about the people that got saved at Graceway, and we found out they were telling us. They wouldn't drive by and yawn. They wouldn't drive by and not care. I was talking to somebody the other day that wanted to know where I pastored and I described it. They knew Dental Depot. They didn't know us. And they drove past the same place. What's the deal? What's the deal? And the deal is simply we've got to be witnesses for Christ in an echo chamber of the gospel everywhere we go like the Thessalonians were because faith and works are hooked up to the same locomotive which is the Lord Jesus Christ. May we pray. Heavenly Father, we stop to say, please forgive us. And we stop to say, do more than forgive and give us peace and respite. Give us passion. Give us a burning desire to see people saved. And let that burning desire be certainly because they are going to be under the wrath of God and go to hell. But let it also be because we want to see you glorified in the salvation of your elect. And we'd like to have a part in what you are doing. So Father, there are people here today who have never surrendered to Christ and trusted in Him and Him only as the full payment for their sins. Oh Lord, I pray they would do that today by your grace. And there are other people here that they need to get serious about being a witness for Christ. We've got a lot of good intentions. There's not a person in the room who is anti anything that we've said or seen out of the Word of God. We always have good intentions, but we never get around to doing it, not even as much as carrying a tract in our wallet. Help us, Father, to change in that and to be passionate about doing the one thing we were commanded to do by Christ in Matthew 28, and that is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And by the way, Lord... Please bless those who are doing that. And thank you for them and for the example that they set. May they bear much fruit and find joy and find us to be people who follow their example and walk in their footsteps to be gospelizers, evangelizers for the glory of God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.